Very, very warm welcome to you. Uh, if you, if you don't, if you've not been here before, my name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, circumstances have conspired against me, which means there are no scriptures on the slide today. So apologies for that. We try to get the scriptures up on the slide in case you don't have a Bible or don't, or don't have a Bible with you. And I'm afraid that today um, that's not happened. And um, it's a mixture of circumstances and me uh, coming together. Um, so apologies for that. Next, this is the last. This is the last week of our uh, series on faith. Um, next week will be kind of a special one-off birthday message, uh, preached not by me but by Goth Hope. Many of you will will remember Goth if you were here uh, in January last year when we laid hands on Hazia to become an elder. Remember, Goff came and he preached on church's family. And Goff and Angie will be joining us next Sunday and Goff will be preaching. Following that, we will do a four-week series which we've called The Glory and the Gory. And uh, we're going to be looking at um, the glory of the unmarried life, the gory of the unmarried life, then the gory of the married life, and the glory of the married life. So we're going to be uh, unpacking it in as unguarded and as transparent a way as possible. We're uh, interviewing numbers of people from the congregation. We'll be putting together some miniature videos to be used as part of those um, that part of that series. So it's not just my voice that you're hearing. Um, but I will, I, will be, I will be leading us through that series in terms of preaching. I really want to just uh, bring some stuff on that. So um, that will begin on March the 16th. Um, next week, birthday this week, last sermon on the series of faith. We've been looking at Abraham and Sarah and really trying to understand faith from within the narrative, not just uh, apply abstract concepts, but look at how it, how it worked out in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Week one, the faith to wander. Week two, the faith to wait. Week three, uh, the faith to change, and we will, I will, I will um, give you the title for this one a little way in, because there were certain dilemmas around what to entitle this one, and I'll talk you through those first, but before we do that, we're going to get to, we're going to turn to Genesis 22, if you have a Bible with you, Genesis chapter 22, kind of one of the subtitles we've given this series is Pilgrimage, um, trying to help... Uh, us all grapple with the fact that the life of faith is more than simply a decision that we make, but it, it, that, that decision um, opens up a whole way of living. Jesus called it the narrow way. He said that um, the way is narrow and hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Whereas the, the road is wide um, and easy that lead, leads to destruction, and many find it. He was very strong. It's, very, it's a very strong way of framing it, and perhaps we don't even hear that kind of thing much, even referred to much, even though Jesus said it. And, uh, but it's so important that we face it and that we grapple with it, um, because lots of things, lots of very broad and wide things are said about faith. Um, and actually, biblically, there's a richness to it, but it's a narrow thing. There's, something, there's, there's lots of things that it isn't, and uh, other things... Uh, that it is. And I will say this, that the life of faith or the pilgrimage life is impossible to explain or understand outside of the fact that the person who's living it has seen something or someone invisible and the whole centre of their life is now being driven by that. 
That is the life of faith. That, that, that person is, it's like someone has pulled back the curtains and they have seen, the pennies dropped, they've seen someone who naturally they couldn't see with their eyes, but with the eyes of their spirit they've been awakened, they've been uh, healed from their kind of spiritual blindness and seen him, and as a result... Sorry. Where was I? The life of faith. when When you see him, he changes everything. And everything else of life then has to be reconsidered in light of the fact that you've seen him. Everything else. Everything else, it's like suddenly someone is now top of the pile and everything else has to now shake down in light of the fact that you've seen him. That's how it is. Because someone, you can put it top of the pile, centre, whatever phrase you want to use, you're saying the same thing. There's suddenly something new for everything else to orbit around. That's how it goes. And so your attitude towards forgiveness, where you've been hurt, let down, etc. Your attitude towards possessions, your priorities in life, the way you use money, the way you respond to authority. Da, 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 da. On it goes, everything is impacted and affected when you see him. That's the life of faith. We have to just face that that's what it is. It's very releasing once we accept that, to try to squeeze it into the uh, status quo. It just leads to massive tension, difficulty, stress, um, frustration, and you end up feeling resentful inside. We well, so just acknowledge he, he is now preeminent. Let everything else shake down and find its proper place in light of him. It's massively releasing. Uh, and so that, uh, uh, but to look to for someone to look on that who hasn't seen him, it, it, it's confusing. It's confusing, and it can be offensive, and it can raise all kinds of misunderstandings. So we just need to acknowledge that. I wanted to say that because this next story is definitely one of those stories where you look on and you go, "What?" We couldn't avoid Genesis twenty-two when looking at Abraham and Sarah. So here we are. We found ourselves there. Let's read from verse one. After these things. Lots of things have happened. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you know the kind of impact this story will have on us uh, and that it's not an easy one. It's really not an easy one. And so I do pray for lots of help today. Help us. We admit to so many, bringing so many accidental preconceptions and prejudices and blind spots to the table. Help us, Lord. Help us to get it, to, to see you. Help us to, help us, help us. Give us ears to hear what you're saying and eyes to see what you're doing, please. Pray particularly for those, Lord, who wouldn't say they believe in you or, you know, would just have all kinds of, more questions at this stage, more, more fog than clarity. Pray, Lord, you'd have such mercy on them. You really would just reveal your beauty, even through the story like this, I pray. Amen. I would ask you to bear with us on this one. If you are, if this is new to you, this is quite a baptism of fire, this story. You could be tempted to say, okay, where's the, where's the exit? Just bear, bear with us for the message, if, if you would. Um, I want to say a few things by way of introduction on this one. Uh, the first thing that it is an incredulous scenario. It's a scenario that is hard to believe. Um, and I'll show you in what sense I mean that. Um, uh, we know particularly that, maybe at this time, but definitely a few hundred years later, uh, numbers of local religions would do exactly this practice. It would be part of their worship to offer their children in the fire. It was part of what these so-called gods, in quotes, would require that they offer up their children as burnt sacrifices. And uh, the Lord refers to it a number of times, to these practices in the Old Testament, particularly when speaking to and through Moses. And he says things like that, that because, because what happened was the Israelites for a while began to often uh, um, mix with people of these other religions and, and syncretize, join together their worship of the Lord with these various practices, and they started doing them. And God expresses his horror. And he says, this is just abhorrent. And he says, you know what? He says, this is, not, this is not how I want you to worship me. But he also says things like, that this very idea would, had not even entered my mind. You know, that, that someone could do this as a regular part of their worship, offer their children, that even the thought of it. He expresses such shock and such uh, terrible dismay at this thing. And so it's really important that we understand that um, in, the whole of, in the whole of history... God has never required and gone through with a child sacrifice. It's really important you understand that. Um, 
The second thing to say is, I don't know about you, but when I, when, what I tend to do if we're reading stories like this, I jump straight away to what would I do? You know, those sort of moments, you know, that sort of moment. What if, what if, what if? These, these kind of, uh, you go into a llama mode when you read a story like this. But what if God told me to, dot, dot, dot? You know, you think, ah! Uh, let me just say, uh, the thing about Abraham at this point is that he has a really, really good track record of hearing God. He's not the local crank. He's not the local, you know, oh, here we go again. By this point, his track record, you can see, is amazing. This man hears the voice of God. This has happened a few years earlier, you know, and uh, in a different, I don't know, some other scenario. Maybe before they'd had the child and, you know, Abraham says, God has told me that I must take Sarah up a mountain and, you know, do some such to him. You know, there would have been, you know, you'd be thinking, hold on a minute. We haven't even seen any of these things that God has apparently told you fulfilled. At this point, you can look at his track record and say it's impeccable. He, every time he said he's heard God on something, it's come to pass. This man hears God. And so just to say on this as well, it would have, Abraham knew the voice of God. We don't know how God appeared or spoke in this way. We don't know. We're not told. But we know it would, it would have to have been 100% certain with no room for doubt. If there had been what, the door slightly ajar for doubt, then Moses, Abraham is not going through with this. It's exactly the voice he has heard over the years, time and time again, which has come good as the voice of God. Okay? It's really important that we understand that as well, that we just get our heads around this. We read it retrospectively. He is in it. He doesn't know how it ends. So this is much more troubling for Abraham in so many levels than it is for us. We think, I'm sitting here troubled. Think about Abraham for a moment. Okay? He's troubled. He doesn't know where it's going. This is an incredibly, it's the, 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 the most difficult moment of his life without a doubt. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. There is an assurance he gives us. The same assurance Abraham had. Also, I would say that this isn't a moment, again, you can say, look what happened to Abraham. When's it going to happen to me? You'll be glad to hear. Because this, this moment never happened to Sarah. In fact, actually, it's very difficult to think of any character in the Bible who faced something quite like this. Think of the Old Testament. What character faced anything quite like this? This is unique. And so, again, you can't just take that and go straight away, put it onto yourself. This was a unique moment for Abraham and his story and his walk with God. Um, Sarah, Sarah doesn't feature. In fact, I don't think she even knew about it. I think there's a reason he got up early. <laughs> Do you really think he'd be able to get it past her? Do you really think, Sarah, the Lord's spoken to me. Do you really think he could have got it past her? We're not told, but that's my hunch. And even the things he says to the men, or maybe he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm taking Isaac off. Maybe he said the same thing to her, he said to the men. We're going and we'll be back. This was, I would imagine, the loneliest Close to the loneliest moment a human could experience. It's just, before, it's just him and God. It's just all, you know. If he didn't do it, if he didn't go through with it, no one would have ever have known that he hadn't gone through with it. No one would have ever have known. It's an incredible, incredible moment. I had various dilemmas with the sermon title. It started off, The Faith to Sacrifice. And then I thought, no. The reason I thought no is because the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. 
It just, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself daily. Every day, on little things, numbers of times, you're saying no to certain desires you have. It's just what it is. And so to start to locate, to start to look at something like this, and say that's, you know, Christian life is like that, well, that's pretty extreme. You can't, I don't think you can just say, it's going to be like that for all of us. I don't think that would be wise or accurate. I just, you know, obviously we know, I'll look at later, we know God would never say that to us. So, you know, that, we'll look at why later. But, you know, the, that thing. And then I thought maybe we should call it the faith to face the unthinkable. And then I thought, I don't think all of us will. I don't think for a moment all of us will have to face the unthinkable. I think some do, but... Not all of us, so I pondered and I pondered. <laughs> what should I call this wretched sermon? Um, I've called it the faith to go all the way. Because I think that sums it up well. I think when we look at how the New Testament talks about this instant, we'll get the hang of why I've called it that. This, this is called the faith to go all the way. The New Testament refers to this story twice. The book of James and the book of Hebrews. So let's start by turning to the book of James chapter 2. There's some controversial stuff in this little passage. I'm not going to delve into the controversy, but I am going to unpack what James says about it because it's very important. We understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. The, the New Testament authors shine their light onto it through the Holy Spirit, and we understand, okay, this is what's going on here. So James says this in James chapter 2, we will go from verse 20. Typical James, he's, he's a little bit blunt, so bear with him. Uh, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, quote, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now that is a very tightly woven theological argument. Let me just unravel it in a minute or two. It's really, really important. James quotes Genesis 15.6. Genesis 15.6 is, is, is the second time the Lord appears to, um, to Abraham, and he makes him this outrageous promise. He says, come out of your tent, look at the stars in the sky. Your, your descendants are going to be like that. Okay, so God is using hyperbole. God is using this kind of extreme metaphor to say, you're going to have loads and loads of descendants, Abraham. And he was speaking on two levels. Firstly, that he was going to be the father of the Hebrew nation. And secondly, that actually every believer is spiritually speaking his son. So he makes him this outrageous promise. And bear in mind at this time, Abraham's uh, around, uh, I think at this point he's about 90, Sarah's about 80, they've not been able to have children. And Abraham says, okay. That's, that's one of the biggest moments in biblical history where God makes him this outrageous promise and Abraham says, yeah, I believe you. And the Bible says, because of Abraham's yes, God declares him righteous. And it's so important because it's a picture of how we are made righteous as Christians. God promises to, he promises to bless us entirely through Christ, regardless of the barrenness of our background, regardless of where we've come from, regardless of the fact we've got nothing to commend us. He says, I want to give you my son and absolutely outrageously bless you in him. And we say yes. And we receive Jesus, and in that moment, God declares us righteous. That is the, that is the wonder of the Christian faith, that from the moment of saying yes to him, we are ma- God declares us righteous, we are made as righteous in that moment as we ever will be for the rest of our lives. It's called justification by faith. 
James, interestingly, points to Genesis 22, where he offers up Isaac, or is about to, and James makes this very interesting comment. He says, that scripture, that scripture there back in chapter 15, where it was declared righteous to Abraham because he said yes, it was fulfilled there. Now, what's he saying by that? What he's saying is this. He's saying this moment, this action of Abraham here, is the demonstration of the depth of what his yes meant. That yes wasn't just, yeah, sure, yeah, sounds great, sure, fine. That yes was, yes, I am yours. I entrust myself to your faithfulness. And it was, and, and that wonderful moment, it looks so simple and it is so simple, but you could be mistaken by thinking it's shallow because it's simple. James says, no, the depth of that encounter there is seen there. That validates that. That fulfills, brings to completion that. That shows us what that is. When I come to Christ and I say, I'm all yours, Jesus, which I did about 22 years ago now, aged 18. That moment, I was made righteous as a gift. Reconciled to God, totally changed. I knew him from then on and have done since. But the depth of that, yes... The depth of that response is to be seen in the rest of my life. It's not okay for me to simply point back to a yes moment if the way I'm living does not agree with that yes. Do you see that? You see the point there. It's it, 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 if the way I'm living doesn't speak of that yes, then what was that yes? James says that kind of thing shows us what that. Yes of faith is. It is the deepest agreement with God that you can imagine. It's massive. That's the way James interprets this story. Let's look at the way the writer to the Hebrews interprets the story. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. Which is the second element. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the writer of the Hebrews is pointing to this ridiculous situation where Abraham, what he's carrying, the promise he's carrying from God is this, God, you said to me that through this young man, my descendants would be named. Not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. And now you've called me to do this. I mean, it just does not seem to make any sense at all. But I know it's you. And because I know it's you, and that's all I've got. I'm still trusting you for the fulfillment of this promise, not him. You see that? My faith has not been transferred from God himself to now this object that's before me. My faith and trust in the fulfillment of the promise is still in you. And I demonstrate that through this action. And we're letting on Abraham's mindset here, which is glorious, which was God will bring him back to life. Which figuratively happened. The point here is that this act of going all the way for Abraham was enabled only by faith in resurrection and the power of God. You can only go all the way with God 
if you absolutely believe he is powerful enough to bring the most dead situation back to life. Outside of that, you, you will lose hope. But there's this robust, he considered him able. He had a, I know I say it a lot, sorry. I'm not sorry, I know I say it a lot. He had a very, very high view of God. He was very impressed with God. To the extent that his impressiveness with God overtook everything that he saw before him. It's like I said earlier, everything else had to shake down in light of God. This is incredibly penetrating stuff, if we let it get into our skin. That death is never the end with God. That death never has the final say if you are walking with God. It's why we are absolutely confident and assured if we are believers that of eternal life. I mean, it's outrageous, really. It's a little bit, you think, oh, you feel a bit bad saying it in some ways. Because you think it can sound so presumptuous as if somehow I think I'm good enough for heaven. I really don't. But I absolutely believe that in Jesus Christ is eternal life because he has risen from the dead, which means he's defeated sin and, he's dem- and death and he's demonstrated who he really is. He is Lord of, he's Lord over all things, including death. And so in him, I know I've got eternal life. Death never has the final say. When you're with God, we see it here in this story. It's always resurrection. It's always resurrection. It's the goodness of God. Interestingly, Jesus went all the way by the same motivation. If you look at Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, it just says that as we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is, Jesus is going all the way. He gets to the point of the cross. How is he going to endure the shame? How is he going to uh, endure all the humiliation? How is he going to endure the punishment? How is he going to endure all of that? Well, we're told it for the joy set before him. He's seen beyond it to resurrection. God's going to bring resurrection here. There seems to be something here, a principle in the Bible, whereby you can only go all the way if you've got it nailed down in your heart that the end is never the end with God. Death is never the end with God. Shame and humiliation is never the end with God. It's always glory. It always ends in glory. It always ends in life. It always ends in reward. It always ends in well done. It always ends in celebration. It always ends in harvest. It always ends in the good stuff. That, that, is, that, that is, otherwise, you, you, what happens if you don't understand that is you can go one of two ways. You can just run a mile from this you think, this is a nightmare, and run a mile. Or you just get into this kind of martyrdom mode. All right, bring it on. And some of you can do that. You've got that kind of resolve, and, that's, and you just go. But it's, it's like, it's a bit funny. There's no joy. You know, there's no sense of hope. It's just, right. And it's, no, 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 look, look at Abraham. He's going in. In this moment, we get an insight into what's going on in his head. I serve the God of resurrection. I serve the God of the universe. God has promised that my descendants will be named through him. Therefore, God will bring him back from the dead. Do you see that? That is what is propelling him to obedience. You see, Jesus facing the cross. I mean, for goodness sake, he's, he's facing the most horrific thing you can imagine. He, you know, everyone's deserted him. He's been betrayed. I mean, all the stuff, you, you know... We know the story. He's about to face... Well, I don't, the Bible never goes into what Jesus subjectively experienced, what it was like. 
But, but we see this derelictus cry of dereliction, the theologians call it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where he's quoting from Psalm 22, where he just feels uh, utterly dejected and the sky goes dark black, you know, in mid, at midday. And it's just horror. It's just pure horror. And, and there he is, and bearing our sins in his body, all the, all the, all the dark things in his body. You think, oh, what? How did you face that? You know, how did you face that? How did you, what? How did you face that? And not only that, how did you live those three years in the public eye full of joy, knowing it was coming? Because you predicted it. How did you do that? How how were you able to have time for other people and not be self-consumed with what you're about to experience? How do you do that? You know, how? How do you live a life of compassion, joy, peace, perfect rhythm, trusting God, given that you're facing that? Jesus goes, well, it's because what's beyond it? The joy set before me. See? There's this joy, there's this resurrection that propels people through the darkest seasons and the darkest moments. It's the biblical way. So the New Testament sees going all the way through those kinds of lenses. Firstly, that that, that yes, that initial, I believe you, that simple step of faith, that it somehow it carries with it the power to see you right through to the end. Incredible, really, isn't it? So it's just, it's because new, it's because when you say yes to Jesus, new life starts. Resurrection life comes by the Holy Spirit and indwells you. It propels you right to the end. So even though you go through seasons, valleys, trials, tests, you just, I'm still on the road. What is that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit of new life in you. And it's also driven by resurrection. Now, I just want to unpack, how does it work then? How, how does this, how does going all the way work? How, you, I'm going to assume most of us here are disciples. We're looking, okay, what does this look like? There's a few little thoughts. Um, firstly, it is it, going all the way with Jesus. right? Because I want to say this, the tradition that we are in, uh, this is not a book of sensible, respectable people that hedge their bets. It, it is a record of flawed Except for Jesus, flawed people uh, who stumbled in many ways, but went all the way. In the main, there's one or two, you think, you know, King Saul, one or two others, you think, what's that about? But in the main, our heroes, our heroines are those who faced difficulties we face, had the same flesh as us, but went all the way. That's, that's, that's the line, that's their heritage as, as believers, that's the line that we're in. Right? So what does it look like? Well, firstly, it's, it's made up. Of a thousand tiny decisions a day. It is. That's the reality of it, isn't it? Not that that you're constantly nitpicking, but you're just making decisions the whole day. I'm on this road. This is the road I'm on. Jesus first. And so, yeah. And so, nah. And so, that's what it is. And you have to engage with the reality of that. Otherwise, you 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 can be in unreality. It's made up of a lot of little decisions throughout the day. Not in a... Again, not in a, I'm not talking about, okay, you get up in the morning, right, okay, what, write a list of, no, 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 no. You, but you walk in step with the Spirit. And you so treasure the presence of God in your heart. Because you know now, I've got the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. I know him, I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to quench him. I want to honor him and I want to live full of the spirit. Yeah. And so out of that, I just, I want to walk in, in, in it's, it's like any close relationship, but it's the pinnacle. You know, where I, I guess 
in terms of our, if we're married, our spouses, if we're unmarried, our close friends, you know, all of us, our, our family, we, we do and say and don't do and say certain things because we love. That's what it is. A tiny thousand decisions every day. That's one thing. Second, it involves burning the bridges. If you want to follow Jesus, you burn your bridges. So that when you get moments where suddenly you think, oh, you can't go back. (laughs) Is that a good thing? It's a great thing. There was a moment like that in John chapter 6, we read about it, where Jesus started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Everyone got freaked out. uh, And in the end, only 12 were left out of a few thousand. And Jesus says, what about you? Do you want to leave too? And Peter says, well, where, where can we go? You've got the worst to eternal life. We've left everything to follow you. Well, back to what? There's only one thing scarier than following you at the moment, and that's trying to go back because there's nothing there. I've burnt my bridges. That's the life of faith. That's what it is. It has that dynamic of that's what it is. God isn't safe. It's okay to say that. (laughs) He's adventurous. I mean, walking on the water, that that miracle always... it wasn't that necessary. <laughs> Could have got a boat. It was one of those ones you think, I get the bread and the fish, you're being compassionate, you know, I get this, I get that. Walking on the water. <laughs> I know it demonstrated his lordship over nature and all of that. I get all of that. They didn't have to do it. And then he and then when Peter says, If it's you, tell us to come. Jesus doesn't say, well, no, this is, this is only the kind of thing I do. He doesn't say that, does he? Come demonstrating lordship over nature, and it'd be totally inappropriate for you to try and do the same thing, Peter. He doesn't say that. He says, come. That's Jesus. Come on in. And it's an invitation into adventure. That's what it is. You've just got to keep your eyes on him. It's gutsy, it's rough at times, sometimes it's lonely, but it's glorious and it's eternal and it's holy. And, and, and those that you do travel with, a depth of fellowship and friendship grows that will carry on through to eternity. It's really, really wonderful. So burn your bridges. I will say that part of the tiny thousand decisions we make every day, there probably will be one or two big moments. It may not be as extreme as that. Oh, I forgot to say, it won't be that. Okay, I'll tell you what, I should have said why it won't be that. That whole scenario was pointing towards Jesus. The son, the only son, the beloved son, carrying the wood up the hill. Does it remind you of anyone? It's Jesus. The whole idea, the whole reason why Isaac wasn't killed in the end is because the whole point is God will provide the lamb. And it's not that ram in the thicket. It's his son. And his son's sacrifice is not child sacrifice because Jesus, Jesus was 33 years old. He willingly gave himself for our sins because he loves us. All right, so I should have mentioned that. That's why this won't happen. This is a unique moment in history. So I needed to say that. It's been done. Jesus has fulfilled it. That's the offering for sins. So if you're going to come to Jesus, don't come and try and make offerings for your sins. It's an insult. It's been done. Receive the gift and then start running with Jesus. 
But there probably will be one or two massive moments on the journey, either through tragedy, because tragedy happens even to believers, where you suddenly think, ah, and you have to make your decision, am I going to keep trusting? Or temptation. Suddenly something just looks very, very attractive, and it's, it's off the road, it's somewhere else. It wants your heart. Those moments do come, will come for all, each of us. Praise God they don't come every day. <laughs> Normally it's just the little, the little choices, but they will come for each of us. And when they do come, you're, you're not to be utterly disorientated by it, though it's always slightly disorientating. You're to journey through that season with others around you that know you and love you. You're to just keep in a place where you don't try and change the season by your own sovereignty, but you let God get you through it in his way and in his shape, his time. You keep your eyes on him, and you walk through it with integrity. He is faithful. He will get you through to another season where you are singing. And finally, this is I love this. How does it work? How do we go all the way? There's something about being utterly present to God and everyone God has put in your life as much as you can. Did you notice what Abraham said in this story? Did you hear? I emphasized it when I read. It started with God saying in Genesis 22 verse 1. I, I just, I love Abraham. He, he really, he's just got this, he's so in it. <laughs> he's so in it. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. They're walking up the mountain together. Isaac said, my father, and he said, here am I. He's got the knife in the air. And the angel shouts out, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He's just always there. He's in it. He's in it. That's what faith is. Utter conviction. Utter conviction. The New Testament definition of sin is anything that is done without faith. God wants us to be those who live our conviction. Know it. Feel it. Don't just say, oh, what are you convinced of? Oh, okay, I'll adopt that for a season. No. I know whom I've believed. The Apostle Paul said. Do you ever say that? Here am I. I'm here I am here, I am here, I am before you God, and I live before you God, and I'm not going anywhere. And when the trial comes, here am I, and when the celebration comes, here am I, and when the, when the boring seasons come, here am I, I'm here. It's a wonderful thing. And so I wanted to just finish by, quickly, there's a couple of verses in Jeremiah that I think are very important right now for going the whole way with God, and then... That should help us to bring the thing into close. Uh, God says to Jeremiah, it says, uh, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart or I consecrated you. And um, I, I just, as I was preparing this, I felt the Lord just quicken my heart on some things here. I know that there are many of us in the room. You, you, we know before we were formed in the womb, we were known by God. We know before we were born, he set us apart. He said, I've got some stuff for you, right? 
For some of us, we just carry the heart of God for righteousness and justice. You hate injustice and it burns within you. For others, it's the healing of the body and the soul. You're just driven by this sense of wanting to see the healing power of God break out in lives that are torn apart by physical ailments, mental sickness, sickness of the soul. Others is unreached people. You just your heart beats. Whenever you think of those who have never had the privilege of hearing the name of Jesus, you want to you want to go and reach them and tell them about the Lord. Others of you, you know, you just you, you, I felt particularly for some that it's about the NHS. You, you you work on the NHS, and you just with all of the difficulties and pressures that it's facing, you just love it, and 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 and, and you wanna you wanna be you wanna be fully present there for the glory of God. Others, kids and youth. Others, the poor. Others, the elderly. Others, you just burn for your workplace and you want to see the way people are and the way they relate. You want to see the transformation of the gospel come. Others, I know, it's policy. You want to get involved in policy, etc., etc. Listen, I want to say this. You will face some barriers. You will face some outright blockades at times. You'll face resistance. You'll face attack. You'll face discouragement and disappointment. Are you going to go all the way? Are you going to go all the way? I want to ask you and I want to urge you to say yes to God. I know for many of you it's around the arts and the whole art and media and music and film scene. You just want to be able to be in there and make amazing music and films to point to the wonderful creativity of our Savior. And all, all these things, there's so many different things, you know. For some, you may just, you know, it's, 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 it's micro. It's, you're not into the macro, you're into the micro. It's just this person that you work with. Maybe it's a disabled person, someone with special needs. You want to just love them. Give yourself to them. You know, I've been set apart for this. You're going to go all the way. You're going to go all the way. And what does that mean? It really just, it means keeping utterly present before God in all that you do. Got to work out the results. Got to work out the finer detail. But it's saying, God, I'm in it, and I'm in it to win it, and here am I, I'm in it all the way. Faith to go all the way. I felt that there was a challenge, maybe for one or two people here, that the Lord wants to bring. Um, I just felt it's just for one or two individuals around whether there is a sense of a holy purpose in your life. You'd call yourself a believer. But actually, that sense that you've been consecrated, set apart by God for something, it's not there. It's not there. And I felt for some, even today, there would be, it's the beginnings of a change of direction in a macro way for you. God's just going to implant something fresh and new. And you're going to wake up to what you've been made for by God. And then I wanted to end by speaking to any of you here that you would say you're, you're not sure yet that you've, that you've given your life to Jesus, that you've said that yes, that leads to those moments. And I want to just say, it's simple, but it's massive. It's simple because it's all been done for you. Jesus has paved the way. The Bible says he's like a forerunner into the presence of God. So all you've got to do is say, okay, he's, he's made a way. All right, step into what he's done. It's his accomplishment. It's called the grace of God. But that yes to Jesus is an absolute revolution of the heart. And I do want to urge you to that, just because the Bible says God calls all people everywhere to repent to realise the futility of life without him and to turn to him. I'll call you to do that uh, in the name of Jesus. Okay, I know it's a big one. I know it was serious stuff. I'm really happy to spend five or so minutes just doing a bit of Q&A. Then we can respond together to God. So anything on that, 
I don't wanna, I don't want to do it for the sake of it, but normally the questions that come are so you think, oh, so glad you said that because either I didn't explain something clearly or just you know just really helpful. So please do be bold to ask any questions on this. Debs. Brilliant. Two great questions. The first thing was just to ask me to unpack a little bit more about the burning of the bridges thing, which is a really, really excellent. I'm so glad you did that because what does that mean? You know, um, it's a heartfelt attitude of how can I put it? Um, let, me, let me try and be as helpful as I can here. Pray that God would help me. Um, when you read the Gospels, what you find is every now and then Jesus says some things that are very, very strong, like almost offensive. Like there was someone who said, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I just want to, I want to just go back and bury my parents. You think, well, fair enough. Do you know what I mean? Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead to him. You think, you can just imagine if you were there, you'd be like, did he just say that? And there are other moments like that. Now, what's Jesus doing there? He's detecting in the heart of the person an attitude that it's kind of putting the hand to the plow, but looking back. It's like a double-mindedness. And Jesus comes in really strong against that, out of mercy, because he says no one can serve two masters. You end up hating, hating one and loving the other. And so it's about having an attitude towards following Christ that is kind of where you, your heart attitude is you hedge your bets. You, you, don't, you, don't, um, you don't genuinely in your heart allow Jesus into the driving seat of your life, but you want his advice. <laughs> but you're going to carry on driving, thank you very much. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's saying, no, Jesus, actually, you be Lord. I'm going to follow you. And, and before anything else, I'm a follower of yours. And I think it's that heart attitude that I meant by burning your bridges. Because when you do that, you, you, end up, you make certain decisions which are so um, thorough in terms of your, you set your course so clearly um, that then it is actually very, very difficult to go back. Does that make is that okay? It's, I, I'm really happy to unpack this in personal application in conversation, but there could be a thousand and one scenarios. But it's, it is about the heart attitude and about, you know, saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's the best I can do. Might not be brilliant, but best I can do. The second question was, I've forgotten already. Call him. So Abraham had to actually lay down the very thing that was his calling in this scenario. I do think that there are definitely times where God wants to test us, uh, test our hearts in that sense, by making sure that even the very thing that he has for us, and e- even the very thing that, th- that is his plan for us, hasn't become the thing, the main thing, definitely where we might call it idolizing it. So how do we make sure we're not doing that? It's a hard one, isn't it? Because I don't know if you can until the situation comes where God says something like this. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think you can, 
All I, I, the question was asked in a number of different ways in the weeks before. I'm, I'm not the same image because we hadn't done this story, but the same sort of question. And the way I answered it was I was saying, if you simply keep your relationship with Christ as your most precious thing, that is the best thing you can do. That is the only way, that is the safest thing you can do. But until you hit a moment like this, I, don't th- I, think, I think that to try to prepare for a moment like this would just be, uh, it would be miserable, distracting, and complicating matters unnecessarily. Because do you, do you see what I'm saying? I think you simply got to give your heart to Christ and trust that if a season like this comes, that you would have so laid your foundation on Jesus that you would not be, that you wouldn't find yourself in a situation of idolatry. So I don't think you can prepare for it other than preparing your heart and loving Him, um, and just trusting Him for grace and power. If that season comes, that you will still be looking to Him rather than the thing. And if you recognise in, in your heart that you are growing to love something more than the Lord, that you deal with it then and now. Um, I think we recognise it when these things happen, don't, don't we? I mean, I do. I do. I find myself either... It, it, normally it's extremes of emotions. It's anxious about something. I'm not trusting him anymore. You know, or my desire for him is just on the wane because my desire for something else is growing. You know, you spot it and you address it um, radically and thoroughly. So that's the best I can do on that. Uh, sorry, Marvin, then. You're on the same line, so it's always tricky. Marvin first, then Dan. It sounds like he's disregarded Ishmael at this point in the story, but when Abraham when Abraham dies, uh, Ishmael turns up again and gets involved with the funeral. So, so no, I think there's very much. Yeah, yeah, he's been sent out. Yeah, so he's not in the fold anymore. But he's not. He's by no means disregarded entirely. He's still at the funeral, kind of owns his owns his dad. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of at this, and actually also after this, we read we don't hear much about other children that he had, or he didn't have them at this point. But at this point, yeah, he's the only one that's at home. But I think also there's something very unique about this son. Do you know, I think it is also that element to it as well, isn't it? It's uh, it's the only son of your wife, the only son you've had with your wife, uh, and that element. So uh, yeah, Dan. No, not at all. I think the highest calling in the world is to be a saint, definitely. Um, but I, obviously I was referring to specific detailed things in the way I was talking, yeah. What I would say is is that I guess the, the, the main verse I would use to, to justify that would be Acts 2, where it talks about God pouring out his spirit on all flesh and the sense of all of us encountering God. I guess dreams and visions, we probably use that to describe that. Obviously it can be taken a, a, lot, a lot wider than that. I think... It's very important that each of us, as we mature, learn firstly to find our place in the body, our sense of calling, where do I fit? Where do I fit here? We're all here to serve, but I've got a part to play in this body that means this body will function and move together as it should. So I think that's part of it. Uh, I also think that, you know, Acts 17 says that God makes decisions about the times and places where we will live so that those around us will seek him. So I think a sense of destiny in terms of where we are, 
that it's for kingdom purpose, I think, backs that thing up. I don't know if I'm answering your question, or is it... Hmm. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think I would say that when you have conversations with people like that it's often due to i think i think it's due to often a lack of confidence in a sense of i'm i am where i am by the sovereign hand of god it's not accidental yet that that i am sitting in this room and not in another room because this is this is the course god has got for my life and to view that as a very high calling where i am where i live who i'm around that is definitely my calling in God to view it that way but I think people may feel that they are that they wouldn't use that kind of phraseology or talk that way around it or but I think sometimes there's a there's a confidence issue um but I hear what you're saying in terms of calling New Testament the words normally used to talk about being saved being called I get that so maybe the maybe the phrase wasn't that helpful but yeah yeah Absolutely. I mean, I, I, it's someone very dear to my heart and close to in my life who, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of this person. And they're just beautiful for God. But they would have, they would have responded, if they'd heard me say it in the way you'd heard me, they would have responded exactly like that. But I, I don't have that. And yet when I look at them, I, I, can, I say nothing could be further from the truth. They are the most selfless, hospitable, compassionate person i know but they would they would probably confidence wise struggle to just not really talk about themselves god has called me to this it's like well i just do my thing do you see what i'm saying and even that's part of the beautiful humility of it but um if you're not just here randomly do you, do you know I've, maybe we'll just stop for 30 seconds you are under the sovereign hand of god where you are in your home in your life in your work you are god has put you there even if it's not an easy one, he's put you there. Doesn't mean you can't apply for other jobs and all. Don't start getting overcomplicated, all right? Oh, yeah. But listen, you are where you are under the sovereign hand of God, and 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 you are a carrier of the presence of God, yeah, an ambassador for Christ. It's incredible dignity and holiness around every every moment of your life. I mean, do you need to wake up to that? I really, I really think we do. Um, but yeah, I totally get your point by the in terms of phraseology. Yeah. One more question. Yes. If so. Good, good, good. Yep, yep, absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with that. I agree with all these wonderful things everyone is saying. Um, I really do. I really do. Um, yep. Let's just pray. Hmm. Yeah, it just would be great, wouldn't it? I just feel f- 
for some of us, it's just, again, it'd just be a helpful moment to be able to say before God, I want to go the way, I want to finish well, you know? Really want to finish strong. And, um, and I do feel, you know, the Bible does talk, doesn't it, about going from strength to strength, glory to glory, ever-increasing glory. God has a really very hopeful future for his people. You really, you, you, the plan isn't that we fizzle out. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. And, um, you know, sometimes we have to fight for that a bit, especially if we've been in a season where it's felt like a bit of an autumn or a winter. You can think, oh, is this it? It's, no, it's not it. It's not it. We told, Jesus said that the father's like a vine dresser who finds fruitful vines and clips them back, not so that they can spend the rest of their lives clipped back, so they can bear more fruit. That's the heart of God. And, um, oh, oh God. Would you, God, I do pray you would make us a, a people that really believe your goodness and your generosity. Lord, that it's always for good. It's never for harm. It's never for, it sometimes hurts, but it's never for harm. Always for good. I just thank you, Lord, that your intentions over us are so good. So good. And we can really trust you. We can really trust you. I do feel for some of us, you know, as I'm just standing there, there's a real just, there's just, it's a fresh sense of us saying, God, I trust you, Lord, that you've got your hand on my life for good and not for harm. You know, that's, that's biblical, that is. For good and not for harm. Thank you, Lord. I do pray you'd really convince those who need to know freshly by your spirit. Do a wonderful work, Lord. And uh, and God, I, I do pray that as individuals and as a church, we would we would really finish our race strong. We, uh, yeah, we wouldn't just fizzle out, Lord. <laughs> we would really just we would go from glory to glory. I do pray that, Lord. I do. Thank you that that's your will for us. Thank you that's your will for us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I pray that those of us who really need to hear your encouragement, you cheering us on. We really get a sense of that in our spirit, oh God, today. We're not in it alone. We're not in it alone. It'd be great as we break bread and pray for each other for some of us to just say, God, who do you want me to go and pray for and express that sense that you're cheering them on over and encourage them in that? It's one of the ways God does that is he uses one another for us to do that. Holy Spirit, stir prophetic encouragement in us this afternoon, I pray. Stir prophetic encouragement in our hearts, Lord God. We would build one another up in love, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for all you're doing in our lives and among us. So great to be on this road with you. So great. So holy. It's such a holy thing. Thank you, Lord.